Welcome to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast, where you can listen to everything related to the game of golf. Golf tips to help you improve your golf game, entertaining interviews, discussions about the latest in golf equipment, and so much more. Now, here is your host, PGA professional, Steve Goforth. Welcome back to another episode of Go Forth and Golf. Today's episode is jam-packed with some really good information. I'm going to continue my five-part series for the rules of golf. This is part three. I'm going to talk about the rules of golf and how it pertains to golf equipment. Got a lot of great scenarios I'm going to throw at you. So remember, don't fast forward past the rules of golf. I know sometimes the rules can be a little intimidating, sometimes boring, but I put these scenarios in a really fun manner and related them back to real-life situations that may occur on the golf course. I think you'll really enjoy that. I have a very compelling interview that I did with Brandy Jackson. Brandy talks about her college career at Furman University, making it to the Women's U.S. Amateur Finals, her LPGA Tour career. She also talks about starting up and growing her current business, Brandy Jackson Golf. She goes on to talk about the growth of women's golf and her opinion on that, as well as the current state of the LPGA Tour and so much more. In this episode, I take listener questions again. Really good questions. Longevity of a golf ball, choosing the best approach shot into a green, how to conquer that three to five foot putt. Man, we've all struggled with that one, right? And the importance of taking a divot. So as you can tell, I'm really excited about this episode, and I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Before you jump into this great episode, I wanted to tell you about the fantastic experience I had down in Hilton Head since I've dropped my last episode. Went down to Hilton Head Island and I got to play Harbor Town Golf Links and it was my first experience playing that fantastic course. It's been on my bucket list. I've had a lot of friends that have played it so I finally got to go down there and experience this tremendous golf course. It was in fantastic condition. It was just two weeks after they played the RBC Heritage there and man I, I enjoyed it. I really did. Didn't shoot the score I really wanted to, didn't score the way I wanted to, and believe it or not, it's maybe like my second or third round out this year, which I'm embarrassed to say. All of you that are listening that know me, you know I don't get to play a lot of golf. My passion right now falls with my family, uh, my responsibilities at Willow Creek, and and doing a good job of growing that golf course, and everyone involved there at Willow Creek, as well as my students. My passion right now is getting other people better. That just really excites me to help other people improve their game more so than improving mine. I'm sure that's going to change at some point. I'm going to be able to have more time to focus on my game and I'm going to make that a priority again because I want to get back to that. I want to be able to play competitively. I want to be able to get my game back to where it used to be. So I'm really excited about that opportunity in the future. So playing Harbor Town was a really cool experience. It got me to experience that tour caliber golf course. Even though I didn't score the way I wanted to, I really hit some good shots. I was really proud of myself for as little as I've been playing and practicing with some of the shots that I hit. Now, I found a lot of greenside bunkers, but I hit some really good bunker shots, and I was really happy with myself on that. Of course, Pete Dye is famous for the railroad ties at the greens, sloping. And let me tell you something, I got right up against one of them, and I could reach out and kiss that thing. I was so close. I hunkered down on it, opened up my 64-degree, blasted it out, got up, and almost almost hold it out. So I was really excited about that shot and other great shots that I hit. So you build on that, right? And you may not have the score you wanted, but you build upon the good shots, and you try to walk away from that in a positive manner and, and focusing on those great things that you did and not 
the things you didn't do so well. All these years, I've always heard horror stories about Harbortown, how tight it was, how small the greens were, and it certainly was that. But when I walked up to each tee box, I never really had a sense of fear. I never felt like, oh my gosh, this thing is so narrow. Where in the heck am I going to put this golf ball, or how am I going to hit this fairway? I never had that sense. And maybe my focus was good that day, and my, my confidence was there. I don't know, but I, I just didn't feel the intimidation I thought I would feel. And again, not taking anything away from Harbortown. It is tight. And the greens, I thought were a decent size. I think they were comparable to some, some courses I've played around here, or maybe played at the beach in terms of the size of them. But I cannot say enough good things about how great the condition of that golf course was. Immaculate. They do a fantastic job of keeping that place looking great. So kudos to their superintendent and their entire staff at Harbortown because it was excellent. It had a fantastic caddy in Seth. Seth was wonderful. He knew the golf course like the back of his hand. He was a great help to me and the gentleman I was playing with, and had a great time. If you ever go to Harbor Town, I highly suggest that you ask for Seth as your four caddy, because I don't know if you're going to find a better one. He knows his stuff, and he just made that round so much more pleasurable for me. So thank you, Seth, for all your help, and thank you also for listening to my podcast. I really do appreciate that. Spread the word down there at Harbor Town, and get as many listeners at Harbor Town as we can get. I greatly appreciate that. So, without further ado, let's tee it up. Oh, he got all of that one. Today, we're going to be talking about the rules of golf and how it pertains to golf equipment. This is part three of a five-part series, and I've gotten a lot of good feedback thus far on part one and two. I'm glad that it's helping you. I hope that this one and the ones coming after this, we've got two more weeks of this, will also help you when you're out there on the golf course and cut down a lot of that confusion. Like I mentioned in the last episode, take the time to listen to this. I know the rules of golf are a little bit boring and, you know, it's not very entertaining. Sometimes the rules of golf intimidate us a little bit. Don't fast forward past this. Don't skip over it. Take the time to listen because I'm going to put these rules like I've done in the past in a way that is uh, you can relate to when you're out on the golf course. It's not just reading the rules of golf in a very boring fashion. I'm trying to give you scenarios that you can relate to that maybe you've actually been in already and that can answer these questions a lot easier for you and entertain you a little bit better at the same time. So get ready to take those notes and let's jump right into the rules of golf and how they pertain to golf equipment. I thought I'd start out with a common rule when it comes to golf equipment, one that's easy, one that you need to know. It's extremely important that you understand this rule, and that is how many clubs are you allowed to have in your bag? A lot of you are like, well, that's easy, and some of you are like, you know what, I don't know. I, I hear one thing, and I'm not sure. 14 clubs, that is the total amount of clubs you are allowed to have in your bag. You may carry less if you choose to do so, but 14 clubs is the absolute limit that you can carry in your golf bag at any time. And you want to reference rule 4.1b and the rules of golf to back that up. You've been struggling with your driver all day long. You've sliced your ball into the woods at least four times, and all of a sudden, here comes a hook out of nowhere into the pond. You've had it. You're done. You're sick and tired of this driver. You take it. You break it over your knee in a fit of anger. Have you done that? I guess we've all sort of been in a, in a fit of rage at some point during the round. Can't say that I've actually snapped the driver over my knee, but I sure as heck have wanted to, believe me. But it happens, right? Could have been by accident. Maybe you just broke it, didn't mean to break it. 
What are your options here? Can you still use that club? And the answer to that question is yes. If it depends on how bad it was broken, you can still use that club for the remainder of the round, or you're also allowed to repair it as long as you don't hold up pace of play in doing so. But you may not replace that club during your round. You want to make sure you reference Rule 4.1a on this ruling. But again, you broke your club or your club was broken by accident, you are allowed to use it, you are allowed to repair it, but you cannot replace it. Standing in the middle of the fairway and you realize, oh my goodness, I forgot to bring my three hybrid and I really need a three hybrid in this situation if I'm going to reach the green on a par five. You look at your playing partner and you say, hey man, can I borrow that three hybrid you have in there because I really need to hit this shot. Are you allowed to share clubs with another player or your partner? And the answer to that is you are not allowed to share clubs with another player. You want to reference rule 4.1b. However, you may share clubs with your partner, provided that the amount of clubs you and your partner have do not exceed 14 clubs. And you want to reference rule 22.5 and rule 23.7 on that. So you're not allowed to share clubs with another player. You are allowed to share with your partner. Say, for example, you're paired up in a tournament. This is as long as you are not exceeding the 14 club limit. You're playing your round on the front nine, you get up to the green, you realize, oh no, I forgot my 56 degree wedge, I left it in my car because I was practicing with it the other day. When I make the turn, I'm just going to grab that out of my car and I'll play with it on the back nine. So are you allowed to add a club to your bag during the round? The answer to that is if you started your round with 14 clubs, then you may not add another club. So if you've got that wedge out of your bag, but you're under 14 clubs, you are allowed to add it when you make the turn. You want to reference rule 4.1b on that ruling. Again, just going back to that first rule that I mentioned, and make sure you don't exceed the 14-club rule throughout your entire round. You're playing with that awesome Callaway driver. You hit your drive, and you realize your head's loose from the shaft. Are you allowed to tighten your club head or shaft if it becomes loose during the round? Yes, you are allowed to tighten your driver provided that the damage happened during the round. You want to reference rule 4.1a2 and there's also an interpretation out there 4.1a2-1. So again, you're out there playing, notice that your driver head is loose and you want to tighten it back up, you are allowed to do that during your round. You're on the driving range, you're hitting these nice high draws, these nice high bombs on the range, right? Everything's great. You get to the golf course and here comes that dreaded slice again. And on top of that, you got a lot of dog legs to the left, which is putting you further into the woods. So you say, you know what? I'm going to adjust my driver. I'm going to set it up to the draw setting or add more weight to my heel so that I can turn that corner a little bit better. I'm going to hit that nice high bomb, that draw I was hitting on the driving range. I got this. Can you do that? Can you adjust your driver mid-round? Unfortunately, the answer to that question is no, you cannot. Once you've got that driver set, when you start your round, it has to stay there for the rest of the round. If you change it, you're in breach of Rule 4.1a, Section 3, where you cannot adjust your driver. So again, once you get started, leave it where it is. No adjustments during the round. 
This last one I want to talk about is a little bit different. And a lot of you have seen the tape that you can put on your body. It's called kinesiology tape or kinetic tape. And that's something new that we're seeing over the last few years. The golfers are using that during the round. And a question I got a while back was, am I allowed to, to wear this tape when I'm playing in a golf tournament? And it's a great question. And I mean, it's something I really never thought about because it's something that not everyone uses and, again, has been introduced not long ago. But in general, tape or similar coverings, which is including the kinesiology tape, may be used if it's for medical reasons and provided it's not used in an excessive manner and the tournament committee is satisfied that its use doesn't give the player any undue advantage. Now, however, if that adhesive tape or similar covering is used other than for medical reasons and it's in a manner that will assist a player in like gripping the club or making a stroke, then it would be considered use of equipment in an unusual manner and it would breach rule 4.3. So kinesiology tape or kinetic tape, it can be put on your body because it's there to help an ailment that you may have in your body, like a physical pain in your joint, elbow, shoulder, whatever it may be. So it is allowed, but to be safe, check with the tournament committee and find out. Just let them know, hey, I'm using this. Are you allowing this? It should be okay, but it never hurts to run things by a tournament committee, just so you know you're safe. In summary, I've addressed the following rules of golf and how it pertains to golf equipment. How many clubs are you allowed to have in your bag? What do you do if you broke a club in anger or by accident? sharing clubs with another player or your partner, adding a club to your bag during the round, tightening a club head or shaft during the round, changing the setting on an adjustable club in your bag, and then the use of kinesiology or kinetic tape during a round of golf. I'm gonna put a link in the show descriptions. I'm gonna highly encourage you to click on this link. It's the usga.org link to the rules of golf when it comes to equipment. A lot of rules are listed there. Take the time to read this. It's a great read. It's going to cover a lot of other things I have not mentioned today, and it's going to really help you and cut down on any confusion you may have about the rules and how they pertain to golf equipment. As I've done in prior episodes, I highly encourage you to go out and get a Rules of Golf book. they got a lot of visuals in there to really help you understand the rules a lot better. I love this version of the Rules of Golf. They did a wonderful job with it. It's always great to have it in your bag to reference, or maybe it's going to be a nice read for you when you have some downtime. Whatever the case may be, brush up on the rules. It will not hurt you and make you a lot more comfortable when you get in those situations on the golf course that you're not sure about, or if you're playing with somebody that could be in breach of the rules quite often, and you want to point that out to them. Next episode, I'll be back with the fourth installment of the Rules of Golf. And again, I hope these are helping you move your way around the golf course in a more comfortable and enjoyable fashion. My guest on this episode is former LPGA player Brandy Jackson. Brandy is the owner of a very successful company, Brandy Jackson Golf, very easy to remember, where she helps young women on their journey to become a college golfer. Brandy talks about her experience playing college golf at Furman University. She then goes on to the LPGA Tour, how she started her very successful career in in college recruiting consulting, her feelings on the state of women's golf and how it's growing, 
and also her feelings on the current state of the LPGA Tour. It's a fascinating interview that you don't want to miss. Make sure you check out Brandy and her website. It's Brandy with an I, brandyjacksongolf.com. There is a link in the show descriptions for you to check out. So without further ado, let's head right into that interview with Brandy. Brandy, welcome to the podcast. I greatly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. How are you today? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. Excited to chat. Thank you. So before we dive into your very successful career in your business, I'd like to talk a little bit about your playing background, if that's okay. You played at Furman University under Coach Mick Potter, who's now the head coach at Alabama for the women's golf team. You made it to the finals of the U.S. Women's Amateur Tournament, and you played on the LPGA Tour. Those are tremendous accomplishments. Tell me about those experiences. Yeah, it seems like forever ago, uh, but it, you know, it was. You know, I was lucky to play for Mick there at Furman. It was a, a dream of mine from a very young age. I you know, grew up here in the upstate and, and knew all about Furman and its legacy, and, and that's where I really wanted to go as a kid. Um, I, you know, I'm Clemson Tiger, born and raised, but they didn't have a team. Um, but I think it was the, the right fit no matter what, and, and he taught me a lot. And that, that year, uh, I guess it was 2000. 2002, so I say it's been a while ago, was um, I was coming off a pretty decent, I had finally started playing well in college, freshman, sophomore year, didn't do a whole lot, junior year, started kind of building up, I had one conference that year, and that summer played, um, played my way into the finals of the USAM, and and that was definitely a big moment, Um, had always known I wanted to play on tour, it was always my goal and my dream, but uh, you know, that certainly gave me the the confidence, and just the, the coverage, and the experience of it, and the the interviews and all of that was like very, very eye-opening for what I really wanted to do and and had a good senior year and was an All-American that year and, and then went and got full LPGA status my first year coming out of college and not gonna lie, I was not ready for it. Uh, the one thing that, that I do love about what I get to do now and, and is what I didn't have, which was that maturity and, and that mental, uh, it was just, on and off the golf course. Mine was as much probably off the golf course than it was on the course and how much that carried over into on the course. And I, and I just wasn't. My dad went and caddied for me and then traveled with me, which was great. Um, but I just did not have the maturity yet for it. And But it was a great experience. And, and then spent eight years between having LPJ status a couple more years and then playing on what's the Symmetra Tour now. And, you know, it was lots of fun and, and enjoyed every minute of it. Well, enjoyed most moments of it <laughs> some not so much but it's um you know certainly was great and and you know t- tons of fun and, and had a few accomplishments here and there to at least uh you know at least say it was um was well worth the, the time and the dedication for sure what would you say was the biggest thing you took away from your lpga experience oh goodness um uh I mean, getting to play, you know, knowing that you are out there playing with the best women in the world. And I think for me now, accepting that a little bit more as something that is really unique and, and is a big deal, I definitely downplay the fact that I didn't have success out there. I didn't, you know, I've never finished in the top 30. I, I was leading a couple of events after the first day. But, you know, to kind of put it in perspective to it being, you know, with the best women in the world and, and looking back thinking, you know, they – they were just, I was just as good as they were. I just didn't believe it. And, and you just feel like you're, you know, you're kind of in a whole different world from them when you're not, you know, you're not competing. And, 
and you're not having the success, it's hard to put yourself in the same shoes as them. And so I think for me, it would have been a, a different, just a different feel for it, a different take as I got more comfortable and got to know them more and, and did things, you start realizing, you know, that you are all there for a reason and you're, you know, they're not that far out of reach and, and you know, they're, they're obviously great players, but you're there with them. And, mm -hmm. and just trying to remember that, I think it's definitely something that um, from a confidence and just being more comfortable around people that are kind of put a little bit on a pedestal and respecting them, but yet knowing that, you know, you're, you're there with them for a reason. Sure. Well, the name of your business is Brandy Jackson Golf. You partner and you counsel female golfers on their journey through the college recruiting process. Where did the idea come from to start this successful business? So I actually had absolutely no idea what I was going to do if I didn't play golf. That had literally been my dream from a very early age. I luckily was good academically and, and maintained that, but I didn't have anything else that I planned on doing. For me, it was golf and that was it. And I was a health and exercise science major in college, but didn't necessarily have any plans to pursue anything in that, you know, that field. And I actually had gone back onto the LPGA tour in 2009 and had played pretty well, didn't get into all the events, but made most of the cuts I got into. I was really kind of getting in my groove out there. And the end of that year, something came up through a mutual friend about an opportunity with a kind of this big recruiting service that was looking for smaller sport athletes. And I, you know, just thought, you know, hey, this will be something I could do while I'm still playing. Like, let's check into it. Then I ended up one spot out of retaining my LPGA status from off the money list and then didn't play good at Q school. So I all of a sudden found myself back, back to square one, you know, back to the semester tour and, you know, you basically feel like you're starting over again. And that would have been my eighth or ninth year at that point. And I started doing some things with the recruiting service and learning how to do public speaking and really just kind of started enjoying that and got a little bit of a passion for it and, and was actually for the first time making a little bit of money instead of spending more money than I was making. And I, I did that for about a year and a half and, and kind of took on a different role within that company and was just learning all about the process. And then noticed that there was a couple of guys who were very golf specific that were more kind of on a consulting, had a really good golf background as former coaches. And there wasn't a female that I knew of, and I, I still don't think there was that was doing this. And I just figured, hey, I've gotten some experience in the recruiting business on top of my playing experience. I don't see why I can't do the same thing myself. And, and so really kind of, uh, kind of bounced off of what they had done within their business and, and created it. And I wanted from the beginning to do it just for the girls, but I, I would just get enough guys referred to me that for the first six or seven years, uh, did both boys and girls. And then over the last couple of years have been able to transition to just the girls and be all about the girls. And you know, I love it. Um, but I can remember I had surgery and was staying at home with my parents at the time was in between moves. And I even remember them kind of, questioning what I was doing and, and if I was crazy. I remember creating the logo and did I want it to be my name or not? You know, it was so funny to, to kind of see that come together and think about what it's become nine, uh, almost 10 years later, I guess it's been now. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it has been a journey to see it from a, a business perspective and, and, and to have kind of thought about where it started. And now there's numerous other people that, that do the same thing. It's definitely a good industry and a good way of helping the kids and, and get them in the right direction. It sounds like making contacts is very important with this, with this business. How much work goes into maintaining and growing the business and, and forming those contacts that you need to, to reach out and to form those relationships with these young women? 
It is. It, I mean, it has it, not to give, not to take any credit away from a lot of help I've had along the way. I mean, I've had tremendous help from just ton of different people along the way. And then a few people that have helped even strictly within the business. But for the most part, it has always been me with every aspect of it, with the social media, um, with, you know, just the, the day in and day out work of it, um, the, the, the travel, the speaking. And, and like you said, yeah, the, the connections, uh, you know, a big part of it is developing the connections with the college coaches. I know we may talk about that a little bit with my podcast later, but that's a big part of it is I've worked extremely hard to build those relationships with the coaches so that when I do have kids that come to me that, you know, are looking at certain schools, those coaches respect what I recommend and, and making that connection, um, just the day in the day out part of the business. And I could kind of outsource some of it and I have a little bit. And it's not one of those I don't think that somebody else can do as good a job or better than what I do. I've just always wanted it to be, um, not be about me, but, but be personal and be my touch to it and, and come for me and, and never be too, um, too removed from, from it being me. And, and I enjoy learning how to do things. And uh, sometimes I get asked to kind of help others on, on how they've done it. You know, I'm far from some big time business with, you know, all these social media followers. You know, I'm still such a small thing. but I just have always enjoyed figuring out how to do it myself and not just, um, you know, not necessarily maybe just paying somebody else to do it for me. And I'm sure that's probably held me back a little bit in some ways, but it's, it's really been fun. Like I said, just to get down in and kind of figure that out. Uh, you know, all just the different aspects of building a business and, and seeing it, you know, it's definitely gone up and down and, and how to adjust. And uh, it's, it's been really cool, but it is, it's a lot of work. It's never, never really cuts off. Uh, you know, I'm always pretty much always on call and, and, uh, available for my girls. Um, sometimes the parents, I might say, you know what, not going to talk to you today about this. If she wants, you know, if your daughter wants to call and talk, but, uh, sometimes the parents get put on restriction, but yeah. pretty much anytime the girls need something, they know that, you know, unless I just not available that I'll make time and, and do what I can. And, you know, they, they get a little stressed out. So don't want them not having somebody to go to. Yeah. You mentioned your podcast. Let's talk about that. It's a tremendous podcast, by the way. I've listened to it several times. Very entertaining by it. It's called Tap Into College Golf. Where did the idea come from to start your podcast? And what are your hopes on that? What are you hoping to provide to your listeners? And how much do you feel like that helps with making those connections? Yeah. So as we talked a little bit before we got started, I have not done many episodes the last few months. It has just been so busy on the recruiting front of trying to help my kids and and. The, the contact I've been having with the coaches has been more based off of my, my players and recruiting. Um, so I'm actually a little bit behind on needing to get back to it. But I, I launched it last year, last May, and, and it has. It's been awesome. So that's one reason why I do. I've got to um, got to get back to it. Part of it was there was a little bit of a, a marketing, you know, kind of sales side of wanting to do it. And the fact that I did know a lot of these college coaches, and, and luckily I knew a lot of the the really top ranked coaches and, and I had those relationships. It's hard from a business perspective to, to promote that and to market that it's, it's not something that I, that I do. It's something I kind of hold close because I only want the right qualified people to be able to, you know, make those connections if it's needed. So part of it was, you know, well, how can I kind of let people know that, you know, I do know these coaches and, and then the twofold side of it is, Hey, you know, these players don't get to hear from these coaches necessarily and, and hear, um, hear, you know, listen to what they have to say and the advice and, and really at the heart of it, it came to from, 
I do spend a lot of time talking to these coaches and I get to hear why they have to make certain decisions. And, you know, they have families and they have, you know, things that, that keep them, you know, from being able to, you know, they, they miss time with their family because they're traveling and, and there's so much commitment that comes from there that I don't always, I didn't always feel like the junior players and parents knew about yet. And, you know, not that they were being disrespectful of it, but I just wanted them to understand, you know, these coaches are, are you know, people and, and they're, they have to make tough decisions and they have families, you know, at home that they have to consider another player. So I really wanted to share their stories as well and we give them a chance to, uh, you know, for not just to be about the recruiting process. We don't talk that much about the recruiting process. It's a little more about the coaches kind of journey, getting into coaching a little bit about their kind of coaching philosophy. And then we do talk about kind of college golf and, and what they see and advice that they may have and, and get into some of those pieces. And it has, it's been extremely helpful for, helpful for junior players and their parents. And then I didn't expect so many, other college coaches to listen. And so I hear a lot from the other coaches who say, Hey, that was such a great episode with such and such coach getting to hear what she deals with or some up, up and coming coaches and assistant coaches have loved listening to it and getting some advice from, you know, some of the, the veteran coaches. Um, I didn't expect that to necessarily come from it. Uh, so it's been, it's been a ton of fun. I definitely have it on my, my calendar and some good episodes to, to look to, to book coming up. Um, just did a bunch when the whole COVID-19 situation first happened and, and then just kind of took a break, focused on my players. So it kind of comes in kind of waves of doing it. Um, but it, it was a huge process to learn how to do it. Again, I'm one of those, I like to kind of figure things out myself and, and dive into it. So I, you know, kind of started out trying to figure out how to do it, how to record, asked a few people who I knew had, had episodes or, or had, shows that I had been on uh, just to find out from an equipment perspective and, and then kind of played around with it and, and then just kind of took it from there and thankfully got enough coaches that were um, ironically my very first guest was the Wake Forest coach and they ended up finishing um, number one in the country before everything got got thrown off this year and, and had a great year and, and she had just had one of her players that had won the Augusta women's am and she was my very first guest so it was kind of cool to kick the show off with that and and then the success that Wake Forest women's golf had had and then from there just uh a lot of different coaches different backgrounds got to go sit down with Mick Potter I did a little podcast tour down in Alabama and Mississippi and went to see him and then um the Ole Miss and the Mississippi State coach and did some in-person interviews and so Mick and I got to catch up about all our uh, our time together and, and what we've learned from since then and how much I've learned since then. And that was a lot of fun for sure. Well, I highly suggest subscribing to it. I've, I've been really entertained by every episode that I've listened to and, and just hearing about, like you mentioned, the, the experiences for these college coaches and what goes into college coaching and the recruiting process. I thought it was very fascinating. Even if you're, you know, if you have a child that's thinking about playing college golf, or if you know someone that's getting ready to get into college golf, or if you don't, it's a it's a tremendous podcast to listen to, subscribe to. You've been a lot of great help to me as well, so thank you for kicking my podcast off. So I really appreciate your help on that as well. You mentioned yeah. you mentioned COVID earlier. Let's talk about that because okay. clearly the COVID pandemic is affecting sports right now, and how much has that affected college recruiting? It has drastically affected it. Obviously, we have much bigger problems in the world, you know, to worry about than maybe just playing college golf or college sports. But given that's what my industry is in, you know, obviously, I've seen it uh, be very affected. The, it's affected the coaches, the programs, um, and then, you know, the, the high school players who are wanting to play 
once the season was canceled back in the spring, NCAA voted, you know, all spring sport athletes can take a, an extra year of eligibility. So they almost wiped the whole season clean, basically. And so they were all granted, granted an extra year of eligibility, which was great. It's just they gave that to all classes. And so the repercussions of that was the fact that coaches had to readjust their recruiting. They have to now make plans that if a rising junior has said they want to stay for a fifth year, well, that changes what they were going to have to do with their 2022 recruiting class. And the fact that they might have planned to bring in two players, but if they've got a, a junior that's going to stay an extra year and they're going to agree to fund that scholarship, then they may only have one scholarship now to offer to one twenty-two player. So it really kind of shifted things just with that decision from the NCAA that that was fair in a lot of ways, but definitely was a big domino effect that unfortunately has, has kind of hurt the junior uh, junior golfers a little bit more. And, and then just, you know, coaches have been in a dead period since COVID-19. Coaches haven't been able to recruit. Players haven't been able to take visits. Um, so very limited during what would normally be a very busy recruiting time, a lot of decisions to be made. You know, coaches would be watching a lot of those rising juniors and rising seniors and making their decisions and making offers and you know, coaches it's definitely been a new world for coaches because they have had to be at home I think they can't recruit uh, can't have players come on visit so they've had to find a lot of new ways um, and it, it, so it's been tough it's been a lot of adjustments it's been you know uh, for me it's it's been very kind of demanding in the sense that a lot of my rising seniors are still in the process that normally wouldn't be then the 2022 process kicked off. And so those players all of a sudden start kind of panicking and get anxious. And, and it, it, you know, definitely has been a period of that. The thing I've loved about it, and I've talked to a lot of the coaches, is just some of the, the creativity and having to think outside of the box. So I've had, you know, my players do different things that normally you think coaches are too busy. You know, they don't want to see a, a video or, you know, all they want to see is, is what they need to see. And, you know, they have a little more time. So, it's, you know, it's really tried to try to help the girls be a little more creative with their approach to things, give them some ideas that can, can help them because it is a process really about kind of marketing yourself and getting yourself out there in the best light and the best impression you can make and, and being seen, if nothing else, because it's a very competitive world. And so it's been kind of fun just to see that creativity on, on all sides of things. Coaches have had to learn to be a little more creative with, with recruiting and with what they're doing with their time and, and the players and myself within my business. So that part's been really cool. I think it's been the, the plus side to it, um, you know, on, on top of how frustrating it's been in some ways when there wasn't tournaments to be played and, and coaches couldn't come watch. And, and like I said, players being told, you know, we don't have – we don't have that spot anymore. And it's still very uncertain. Coaches are still waiting to find out what the fall season's going to be, if there's going to be a fall season. Still a lot of uncertainty with international players and if they can come back. Um, so a lot of coaches are still, you know, very in limbo on decisions and future plans right now. So it's going to be a uh, – even as things to somewhat go back to normal, it's going to affect a couple more years down the road of recruiting and, and what goes on just because of – so much uncertainty and in that extra year of eligibility. Um, so it, it's been a little bit of a, uh, of a mess, but you know, you kind of just learn to work through it and make the best of it and figure out some way to come out better on the other side of it. Well, clearly you have your finger on the pulse of women's golf. What are your thoughts on the growth of women's golf right now? 
Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's been tough that the LPGA has been a few weeks later getting started back. I know some of it, even this next event they're having because LPGA Tour is so international. It was, I'm assuming, I don't know this for sure, but I know part of it was these, a lot of the, the international players not being able to get back to play. Um, I know this first event they have coming up, I think, um, only had like 135 out of a typical 144 field. Um, again, just because a lot of the international girls can't come back. A little different scenario, I think, with the women than the men. Um, you know, it, it's been – there's definitely been such a growth in women's golf. I know there for a while there was a stat that girls' golf was the biggest growth um, – demographic of, of anybody within the, the golf world, basically, which is really cool to see so many more girls being introduced to the game. Um, so love seeing that. I love even up to, you know, what top golf has done and the fact that I've had, you know, friends that never would have probably picked up a golf club that now have some opportunities to do some stuff like that. Sure. that yeah, you know, seeing that's been, been cool again, thinking outside the box with stuff and, and seeing, you know, seeing people pick up the game or at least just try it that normally wouldn't have has always been really cool. Um, again, all the way down to the, the girls' golf program, the LPGA USGA, USGA girls, and then I'm partnered with the Peggy Kirkville Girls Tour, which has been tremendous growth for competitive junior girls having a chance to play tournaments and it be affordable and it only be girls and, and not have to be the last two tee times after the boys and everything's really all about the girls, which has been really cool to see. Yeah, it's great. Well, let's talk about the LPGA Tour for a minute. What are your thoughts on its current state and the future of the tour? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's been interesting. You know, I finished up in 2009 was my last year of having LPGA status. And that was right about the time the economy was taking its, its big hit then. And, and so there was a big, uh, you know, kind of downfall with it for a little while. And then since then, it's really built itself back up. Mike Wine, who's the, um, the head of the tour now, has done just a tremendous job. And he really started to just embrace this is a global tour, you know, some of the bigger sponsors always going to be that way and, and really just tried to embrace that um, and, and just know that you know it's not just going to be a you know such a heavy U.S. based tour when it comes to women's golf and I think it's just taken a little bit of adjustment and, and trying to get uh, the fans and everything to kind of get on board with that as well so I think there was a little bit of not pushback necessarily it makes it tougher for travel for the girls um, you know the American players have to, to step up and, and compete against you know all the the players, the Canadian players, the uh, the Korean girls, the girls from Japan, the European girls. But I think that's really helped to make it this global tour and, and not just keep trying to fight against some of what they were running into with the U.S. with some of the sponsorships and that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's um, – I get asked a lot now, again, even though I wasn't – you know, didn't have the most success out there, but I get some of the girls coming out from Furman and, and, and just some who want to play and, and ask, you know, what my advice is. And, and you know, and, and it's hard because you want to kind of be realistic about what the opportunities are and the chances of making it big and, and making, you know, a ton of money out there and, and it being this, like, dream job that everybody imagines it being. And the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, most people don't. Um, you know, when you look at the percentages um, – and you look at, and when you do kind of look at the difference in the women and the men and the money and all that, it is hard not to be kind of realistic about it. But at the end of the day, like there are so many opportunities that it can bring um, for you from a long-term perspective. So that's what I tell most of the girls too, that talk about wanting to play professionally. You know, even if you told me 
going into it or if you, you know if I knew at the end of the day that you know I, I was maybe going to break even at best or I was going to spend more money doing it and you know it was going to come at the price of this and that like there's no way you would have I would have changed what I got to do and playing out there and the experiences the only thing I would have done different and like I said that's what I tell the players is take advantage of of the the opportunities that are out there that might help you once your career is over and if you get lucky and you play great um and you make a good living out there and you have a lot of success like then that's you know that's awesome but right if you get so caught up in that and in that being again your identity and that being you know because it, it is it becomes about how you make a living and how you're making money and it's hard to separate that um so i think sometimes just shifting your focus on what opportunities might be out there and the people that you meet and the connections that you're going to make and the experiences you're getting um, are going to mean more in the long term uh, than you probably will realize at the time when you're just upset about, you know, missing cuts and, and the financial side of it. And, and if nothing else, it helps you kind of relax a little bit knowing you're doing other things for yourself. And then you might just wake up and actually play really well and win a golf tournament and, you know, set yourself up financially. Um, it, it's just, like I said, it, it's, it's tough from the reality side of things and then from how it finished for me. But again, at the end of the day, I would never, take back what I got to do and in the chance, the experiences out there. And it, it was just so much fun. And um, again, to, to, to have, be able to live out my dream and do that for eight or nine years and play professionally and play on the LPGA tour, you know, just, you can't take, you know, you, you, like I said, you couldn't, you couldn't talk me out of doing that no matter what I think you told me it would price. It might come at. Sure. Well, I'm sure your experiences that you had there uh, give you the opportunity to, to give, tremendous advice to these young women what would be the biggest thing that uh the biggest question that you receive from young women who are thinking about going on the tour what are they most interested in when they contemplate whether they should make that jump to the lpga tour or not um you know i don't i don't know if there's a specific question but i i do think i said it's and I think there's a lot more understanding of it now than it was when we got ready to go out. I mean, we really had absolutely no idea what we were walking into. I can remember there was a group of us graduating college at the same time. I stayed amateur to play. Um, I'd gotten an exemption to the U.S. Open. So I stayed amateur for a few more weeks in the summer. A lot of my friends had already turned pro. And I, mean, I can remember we were, they got to play in this pro-am that they got paid $50. And they were like, we got paid. $50 just to play. Like we didn't have to make a cut. Like they paid us just to show up. And it was right. like, I can remember it being this big deal. So I think that there is a lot more information about what to expect and, and how to expect it. I think one of the toughest things, and I was talking to um, Natalie, who's just finishing up at Furman. She joined my podcast is it's, it's almost like you're going back to your junior golf days in a way, because you go from junior golf where you're practicing on your own, you know, you're, you're not traveling with a team, nothing's paid for, you're having to figure your way out. Then you go to college for four years where you're always with a team, you've got a coach, you know, most everything's paid for. It's, it's kind of living a little bit of a luxury life, to be honest, when you're in college. Then you're back to, it's just about you again, and it's you trying to figure things out. And it's you, um, you know, you're responsible. There's nobody there to tell you when to practice and, and what to do and when to book your flights and, and how to do all that. So you're really learning how to manage all that. Uh, as a junior, most parents are usually doing that. And now all of a sudden, you're having to figure that out. And I think a lot of people aren't quite expecting all of that. And if you don't have you know, if you're not the big star coming out, you might be able to afford having somebody to manage all that for you. 
it's a lot of responsibility. You do grow up in a lot of ways when it comes to that. And, and you're traveling by yourself and long nights in your car and, and driving from tournament to tournament and all of that starts to be extremely um, maturing. And, and, and like I said, it's, it's kind of a, a reversal back to what it was like to be a junior player and, and be more self-driven and, and independent and, and self-motivated and, and getting those things done yourself. Um, so I think that's kind of a mentality I've tried to get them to understand a little bit and, and know that that's it's a different world from what college golf was when you're on a team and got a coach. And best thing is everything's usually paid for when you're in college, right. realizing that like you might get lucky and get your equipment and some of that stuff. But like a lot of times that's about as far as it goes. You're paying for your meals and your, you know, your expenses. And that's a big wake up call for how well you might've had it when you were in college for sure. Well, Brandy, I cannot thank you enough for your time. Yeah. This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed learning more about what you're doing and the state of college or the state of college golf, state of women's golf. It's been extremely fascinating. So thank you so very much. Where can listeners find you on social media? The best place is my, so my business uh, social media is Brandy Jackson golf and it is Brandy with an I. That's where I share all of my more recruiting stuff. I do have my own personal accounts. Um, it's linked to that. If you want to learn more about all of my, my dogs and, and my crazy training, some people I think enjoy following that and the boring recruiting stuff. Uh, but the Brandy Jackson golf, brandyjacksongolf.com as well. That's all of my business stuff. All of my golf specific college golf recruiting stuff is all found there and would love to have anybody come join and, and reach out. And if you have any questions or anything, happy to, um, happy to answer anybody that might have any. Well, there'll be a link to your website in the show description. So I, I highly suggest everyone to click on that, check it out. And again, make sure you subscribe to Tap Into College Golf. You will not be disappointed by that at all. Very entertaining. Brandy, thank you so much. Good luck with everything. Good luck with your career. And uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, listen up. If you want to take control of your health and feel so much better, I encourage you to check out Pure on Main. They have two locations on Main Street in downtown Greenville across from the Hyatt and another location on Main Street in Simpsonville. Pure on Main provides you with essential services and products allowing you to live a healthier, more fulfilling life. Pure on Main is also one of the most exclusive and unique health and wellness centers in the upstate. They've been nominated as one of Greenville's best wellness centers for four consecutive years. Betsy and her staff provide services such as colon hydrotherapy, massage therapy, ionic foot detox, and wellness consulting. They also have a store filled with beneficial items for your body and soul. Pure on Main is dedicated to helping and serving their community. Please give them a call and let them recommend the best products to help keep you and your family healthy. I get all of my wellness supplements from them and I feel amazing. Visit their website at pureonmain.com. Again, that's pureonmain.com where you can purchase their phenomenal products to be shipped for free. Yeah, you heard me right. Free right to your door or picked up at their downtown Greenville location. So what are you waiting for? Start living healthier and pure with the help of Pure on Maine. You won't regret it. In this episode, I am taking your questions again. 
Got some really good ones. Thank you for all those that submitted these questions. And remember, if you have your own questions that you want to ask, feel free to reach out to me. Social media, Twitter, it's at GoForthGolf. Facebook, GoForthGolf Instruction. Or shoot me an email, sgoforth at pga.com. Again, that's sgoforth at pga.com. Ask me any question related to golf, and I'll be happy to put it in an episode and answer that question for you. Let's jump right in. This question comes from Rick, and Rick asks, I don't hit the ball all that far, but it's usually fairly straight. How long does a quality golf ball last before losing some distance? Is it two, three, four rounds, or more? Rick, that is a great question. It's something that a lot of people don't think about. What is the longevity of a golf ball? What you got to think about here, if you're not seeing a lot of visible damage to that golf ball, then there should not be a huge effect on its performance. For example, if you've got a big scuff mark on it, you can rub your finger across it, it's pretty rough to the touch, that's going to be some significant damage, and it could affect the performance of that golf ball. Believe it or not, having a scuff mark like that on your golf ball could affect your distance anywhere from 6 to 10 yards, which is pretty significant. So you definitely want to keep an eye on the damage to the outside of the golf ball. And the next thing you need to ask yourself is, when should you change the golf ball out? And if you think about it, golf balls are pretty much going to be lost or damaged before they even wear out. In most cases, they're going to be lost, right? How many golf balls are lost out there and around sometimes on a bad day? So according to Golf Digest, unless there is visible damage to the cover, the average golf ball should last up to seven 18-hole rounds. Seven full rounds of golf is what you should see out of a golf ball in terms of peak performance. If there's a little lost paint or there's other marks on that golf ball, that's really not going to do a whole lot of damage to it. It's not going to affect that golf ball's performance much at all. But once there's that scuff mark on the cover, and it's, again, rough to the touch, it's time to take that ball out of play. Thank you again for the question, Rick. This question is from Stanton. He says, my question is, why worry about distance if you can make a half a swing with any iron into a green and be online. He said, I've personally started bunting a seven iron into greens from about 130 yards with success, and I've been spinning and stopping it. I just think most people do not use enough club to reach the green on their approach shot. Stanton, that is a fabulous point and one that I really agree with. You're right, there's a lot of golfers out there, they, they don't hit enough club and get there. Uh, they want in their mind to hit a 8-iron at 150, and it's a pride thing sometimes. I, you know, I know I can do this. I know I can hit 8-iron, but realistically, they may not be able to yet, and so they come up short. But if you're under 130 yards, you can bunt a 6-iron. You're going to get far more control with it being lower to the ground. Uh, trajectory is going to be lower, rather. You just typically have more control over the club when the trajectory is lower. Let me tell you a funny story. When I was going through my PGA training down in Port St. Lucie, they lined us up in front of a green... It was about 100 yards away, and this older gentleman, I'm I'm not recalling his name, I'm drawing a blank on it, but an older gentleman at that time, he had played in some U.S. Opens many, many years ago. So he's walking the tee line, he comes up to me, I'm sitting there hitting a gap wedge, or a 52 degree, uh, into that green. The wind's kind of in our face a little bit, and I'm just not hitting it. I'm not hitting the green. I may have hit two shots out of ten. He looks at me, he goes, Mr. Goforth, may I ask, what are you hitting? into this green. I said, my 52 degree. And he said, why are you hitting a 52 degree? And I said, because that's the distance that I hit this club. 
He said, why not use a 7-iron? I said, well, because the 7-iron is probably going to go over the green. He said, let me see your club. Stands up over the ball, hits it, knocks it two feet from the pin. At that point, I, he, I'm done. He shows me up. He got me on that one. And uh, I mean, how can you argue that? You know, the man just totally showed me up right there. And I, I needed that. I needed to be showing up in that particular situation. And just a light bulb went off. So he hands me my 7-iron back, and I start hitting them. And lo and behold, I start hitting the green. And I want to say I hit like 10 in a row. And boy, was that a light bulb moment for me. It just it went off. So Stanton, great question. I agree with you, my friend. I think that we should definitely start being a little more creative in how we hit our approach shots into the green. And I encourage the listeners out there, if you're on the range next time, find a flag that's between 100 and 150 yards and hit different clubs to it and see which one gives you the most consistency. Doug has a great question that I think all of us have struggled with at some point in our life. And he asks, how can I make more three to five foot putts? I really struggle with these distances. Well, Doug, if it makes you feel any better, we've all been in that boat. And don't worry, my friend, I've got a great tip for you that can help you make more of those putts. The most common mistakes that I'll see are three things. Number one, the takeaway on those shorter putts are just a little bit too long-gated. So shorten up your backswing or shorten up your takeaway on your putts. I like to tell my students, keep it short and sweet. A short takeaway has a sweet result, and that's the ball going in the hole more. Number two, I see a lot of golfers decelerate coming into the ball. They're a little uneasy, a little unsure. They're scared they're going to miss the putt, and they decel. If you can accelerate more through the putt, it's going to hold its line better. It's got a better chance of going in the cup. And the third and final thing, which I believe is one of the main reasons why so many people miss these three to five footers, is their head turns or their head will move off the ball when they're making that putt. And there's a little bit of anxiousness there, right? We want to make the putt, we want to see if it's going in. Ooh, let me look. And then when our head turns, sometimes it causes the putter to turn as well. Think of it like this. If you're going down the road, how many times have you looked off the side of the road at something and next thing you know, your steering wheel is moving that way too. So... Your, your hands are going to go where your eyes are looking. Your steering wheel is going to move where your eyes are looking. So if our head turns a little bit on that putt, then that putter may go with it, therefore causing us to miss the putt. So keep your head still. Don't move your head until you hear that, that ball fall in the cup. So again, three things. Shorter takeaway. Remember, short and sweet. Accelerate through the putt. It's going to hold its line better. You want to hit the back of the cup. And then you want to make sure your head does not turn. Keep your head still directly on top of that golf ball. And don't turn your head until you hear that ball fall into the cup. I hope this helps you, Doug, and that you'll make the majority, if not all, of those three to five foot putts and lower those scores. Thank you for asking the question. The final question for this episode comes from Mike. And Mike asks, some golfers are pickers and while others take divots. What characteristics of ball flight, such as distance, trajectory, spin rate, etc., are impacted by taking or not taking a divot. Uh, he also asked, does taking a divot with irons compromise hand, wrist, or elbow health? And then finally, is taking a divot optimal? And if so, why? So three-part question there, and thank you, Mike, for submitting this. Taking a divot can be really misunderstood, and I think taking a divot gets put up on a pedestal a little bit too much, in my opinion. It really depends on the instructor and who you ask. There's some instructors out there that think, absolutely, you got to take a divot. No questions asked. If you're not taking a divot, you're not making a golf swing. 
with your irons. Uh, and then some instructors believe that, you know what, it's just centerness of contact. doesn't matter if you're sweeping a little bit or you're taking a divot. I feel they're both important. You need to take somewhat of a divot. However, there shouldn't be too much emphasis put upon the size of that divot. It's more of how close to the center of the club face are you striking that golf ball. That's what's important to me as an instructor. I want to get a student to hit that ball in the center of the club face as consistently as possible, and I feel like the divots will come. You asked if what are the characteristics of ball flight, such as distance, trajectory, and spin rate. Well, if you're taking more of a divot, that means you're hitting down into the ball a little bit more. When you're hitting down into the ball, you're going to see a distance increase because you're going to get a little bit better trajectory. It's going to increase. And then you're also going to see your spin rate increase. You're going to see an increase on all three of those things, distance, trajectory, and spin rate, because you're coming in at a steeper angle of attack on that golf ball. And then when you approach the golf ball steeper, you're obviously going to take more divot. As far as whether or not it compromises hand, wrist, or elbow health, I believe that has a lot to do with how deep that divot is. If you're taking craters with your irons, you're digging in real deep into the turf, I feel like that's unhealthy for the golf swing. Therefore, it's going to be unhealthy for your hand, wrist, and elbow. So I would really avoid trying to take those deeper divots so that those three things are not compromised. And then finally, is taking a divot optimal? Again, I really feel like it goes back to whether or not you're hitting the ball off the center of the club face and not focus so much on the divot. I feel like if you're striking the ball in the center of the club face, you're going to end up taking a divot and a proportional divot that's not too deep and it's not too shallow. If you want to increase your distance, if you want to increase your trajectory, if you want to increase that spin, then work on coming in steeper and therefore taking somewhat of a deeper divot to help with those three things. It really just depends on what's important to your game. If you're looking to spin the ball more on the greens, then yeah, I would absolutely say that taking a divot is important or a deeper divot is important in that situation. So I hope that helps you again. I feel like centerness of contact is the most important thing you need to think about here. And as an instructor, that's what I'm trying to get my students to do. More so than taking that divot, I felt the divot will take care of itself. Thank you for the question, Mike. Thank you again for the questions. Remember, if you have a question of your own, don't hesitate to reach out to me. Find me on Twitter. It's at GoForthGolf. On Facebook, it's GoForthGolfInstruction. Or send me an email at sgoforth at pga.com. All questions about your golf game is welcomed, and I'll be happy to answer all of them. I enjoy interacting with all of you. That's the whole point of this podcast is to have some interaction and to get your feedback and to help you with your golf game. Yeah! There you go. Good shot. It's about time. Hey, it is about time. I mean, I just couldn't get the ball in the hole. I wanted to, but I just couldn't do it. Oh! That is a wrap on episode number seven. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen. Hope now you're a little bit more familiar with the rules of golf and how they pertain to golf equipment. Thank you to everyone who submitted those wonderful questions. And again, I hope you learned from those questions and it can better your golf game as well. And also thank you again to Brandy for taking the time out of her schedule to come on the podcast and tell us more about her career and her wonderful business, Brandy Jackson Golf. You don't want to miss episode 8. I'll have part 4 of the rules of golf. And I'll also be sharing with you some really good information about common infractions or common mistakes that I'll see taking place at a golf course. Really good information. These are things that I've seen other golfers have come to me with complaints with. Or maybe some things that other golf courses 
have frustrations with as well. These are things that maybe you are doing at a golf course, and maybe you know someone that's doing it at a golf course. You'll really be entertained by this. It'll be an eye-opener for you, and it's something you've got to listen to. Or maybe you refer someone you know that is doing these things, have them listen as well. I will also be bringing you another intriguing interview in episode number eight. As always, you can go follow me on Instagram at GoForthGolf. Facebook is at GoForthGolfInstruction. Or if you want to reach out to me via email, it is sgoforth at pga.com. Also, be sure to come visit us at Willow Creek Golf Club. You can call us and schedule your tee time, or you can go on our website to book a tee time. Website address is willow-creekgolf.com. Again, that is willow-creekgolf.com, where you can also find more information about our beautiful golf course. You can go to our scorecard section if you haven't done so and watch flyovers of the holes. It's really cool, so make sure you go check that out. Our superintendent, Kyle Trainham, and his staff airified our greens last week. They're looking fantastic. They're growing in great. They're starting to roll really well after the healing process. So I can't thank Kyle and his staff enough for the wonderful job that they do. Our greens are looking amazing. So make sure you come out and enjoy our great greens and our wonderful staff and the fantastic food that we have for you in our grill. Our Debbie Burgers are out of this world. You don't want to miss out on all the great food and beverages that we provide for you at Willow Creek Golf Club. I wish you all the best in your golf game. I hope you hit them long and straight. Make all those putts. I hope your short game is phenomenal. And remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game. You've been listening to the Go Forth and Golf Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to receive alerts on new episodes. For more information, please follow us on social media at Go Forth Golf Instruction or visit our website at GoForthGolfInstruction.com. Remember, together, let's go forth to a better golf game.